Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittum, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today I'm excited to bring you an episode with Mark Bottenhorn. Mark, at first glance, shoot, he looks like he's got it all. He's got the, the body that looks like he should be on the front of Men's Health magazine. He is an ultra marathon winner. He is just a fantastic runner. Before that, he played college soccer. I mean, from an athletic standpoint, um, he you would you would say that he probably doesn't belong on a podcast for dedicated amateur runners. I mean, this guy is really a stud. There's no doubt about it. But the reason he's on this podcast is that there's much more to Mark than meets the eye. So he has struggled with anxiety, crippling anxiety, for the better part of his life. And in this episode, not only do we talk about his running, but we talk about the anxiety part of his life and where those two pieces of his life intersect and how they um, influence each other and what he's done when he's been brought to his knees by by his anxiety and by his depression and what he's able to do to try to get out of it and how he's worked past it in his life. Uh, I was excited to have Mark on, not only because of his running ability, but because this is a topic that affects a lot of people. However, it's not a topic that gets talked about with the kind of honesty and frankness that Mark was able to provide. So I hope you like this episode. I hope you follow Mark. After this episode, I'll have his Instagram handle in the show notes. Uh, he really is a fascinating guy. Uh, and with that all being said, thank you so much for sharing the podcast. I appreciate it. I love specifically the Instagram story mentions that I get every once in a while. So keep those coming if you got them. You can follow me on Instagram at rambling underscore runner. But this isn't about me. This episode is about Mark Bottenhorn, and I hope you like what you hear. Hello, Mark, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. So excited to be on. It's my pleasure. And considering the audio difficulties we had last time we tried to record this, it's just nice to hear your voice right now. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Make this happen. So I'm really excited to get going with it. That makes two of us. And I'll tell you, you've been on quite a run, my man. You set the uh, the course. It was it. The course was the course record at the Hellcat 50K, and you've just been killing it with your ultras. Congratulations on your recent success! Oh yeah, thank you so much. It was it was awesome. We got to go down from the the cold in Michigan down to uh, basically the Jacksonville area for that in Florida. So it was it was quite the contrast, but it was very nice. So what made you want to go down all the way down there for the race? Um, I thought it would be you know strategically, honestly, I thought it'd be a good kind of a good getaway. Um, you know, just being, it just gets frigid up here in January. So, um, thought it'd be a good opportunity to go down there. Um, just get on some really runnable stuff. Uh, I really wanted to run like a really runnable ultra to see if I could put in a pretty fast time to get a lead entry into the North face 50 miler at the end of the year at the championships. So that was the goal. And I thought that'd be a good course to do it on. Got it. And was it hard to predict what kind of uh, times you're going to get on the course that you've never been on before? Like, what do you use from a research standpoint to set that out? Uh, like mostly at elevation gain and stuff like that. Cause I knew um, I wouldn't be able to train a lot in the trails up here in Michigan. Uh, they're just covered with snow and ice this time, pretty much straight through. Um, so I knew that it had to be something um, that was just going to have a low elevation gain. I wasn't worried about technicality cause I feel that I'm a really strong technical runner. So I wasn't too worried about that. Got it. So 50K, that's 32 miles? 
Yeah, well, 31.5. But this course ran long, so it ended up being like 32.2 or so on that. Okay, and you ran 640 pace. My goodness, that is fast. Now, is that something that – did you go in with that time as a goal? Or what was the what was the finishing – how did the finishing time compare to what you thought you could do? Um, I, I didn't know like, – like I said, the research was a little bit limited on what the course would be like, and it can be really muddy. Uh, that time of year, and it can be very humid and hot, which is, a, again, a big contrast from, from the weather we have here. So I just wanted to get under that four-hour elite standard, A standard qualifying mark uh, for North Base. Um, and I didn't really know what I could do. I knew 640 pace. I could click those off forever because that's really what I run all my easy runs at. So I knew it would just be really comfortable. Uh, but I hadn't run over 20 miles uh, at that point, so I didn't know what it would be like you know, later in the race. So wait, why hadn't you run more than 20 miles? Um. Well, I was going to peak at 23, and I got sick during that peak week. Had a bit of a, a fever and a sinus infection and a bunch of different things, and we decided that it was best that I just take it off. Uh, oh, take it, okay. Get that run. So. And now you you said we. So do you have a coach or who who helps you with your training? Yeah. So his name's Matt Daniels. He's a sub four minute miler. Uh, former. He's Adam State. Is that uh, fast? Hunter. Is that fast? Yeah. Sub four minute mile. Yeah, it's pretty quick. <laughs> I mean. Um, when I lived out in Boulder for the summer and, uh, he was one of the first people I met and we just kind of clicked instantly. And I really liked his training philosophies and everything like that. And he himself has run for the, you know, team USA and a bunch of different long distance mountain running championships and things like that. So he's, he's the real deal. And, and, uh, he's somebody that I'm really comfortable with. So that, that really helps with the training. In Adam state, I mean, that might not be a college that anyone's known that anyone knows about unless you're in the running community. I mean, they have yeah. such a storied history from a running perspective. But if, you, if you're not a runner and you don't live in Colorado, there's almost no way you've heard of it. No, that, that's so true. I mean, they're all over flow track and anything like that. But if, you, if you're not a runner, you, you don't know. And they are a powerhouse. There was a, a video with Adam State coach, and, and I was watching it. And, and his whole coaching room is just lined with national championships. Yeah, it's, I know his name. Is it, is, it, is it Joe Vigil? Is that the coach? Uh, he was. He okay. was the coach. Now, I, he's not the coach anymore, but I know that he and Matt are still close. And he's Got a it. As well. Got it. All right. So so you went down there. Now, did you actually set the – I have you down. You guys setting the course record. Is that correct? Yeah. The previous course record was actually 409 or something like that. So I, uh, I ran under, you know, 333, I believe it was on that. So um, – or 334 low. So I, I, I really set that course record. Now, actually, the top five ran under the course record. Sorry about that. But yeah, the top oh, wow. five people ran on the course record. So it was competitive this year. So did you have people you were running with? I mean, that, that's exactly where I was going to go with that, with that next question before you said that was, were you running solo most of the way? Or did you have a group that you were kind of feeding off of? So at, at the start line, I identified some people who I thought were going to be pretty competitive. And um, I, I started out trying to run with them. And everybody was with me, like my, you know, my whole group, they, they told me, don't, don't go out faster than 650 pace. And I said, I wouldn't, but I knew I wouldn't listen to that either. <laughs> I was just too excited. It's way too jacked up for it. So, um, the guy, he said he wanted to run, I don't know, 355. So I thought if I stayed with him for the first 10 miles, then I could go, but I ended up leaving him at about three quarters of a mile. And I ran solo for the next 31 and a half miles. Wow, what a ch you, what a change in race tactics so early. I mean, what prompted you to do that within the first mile? I, I got a little bit uneasy, I think, uh, to be honest, and it may have been kind of a rookie mistake. 
but it may have been good that I didn't know better because I, I ran a time that I didn't think would be capable of, you know, on that course. So at the same time, it, it worked out. So were you watching your splits as you go? Or is it a course you can watch your splits on, or do you have a Garmin that's able to work through those? Uh, you know, obviously, some Garmin's are tough because if it's not a great service, you can't get, you know, especially on a trail route, you might not get the best data. Like, were you able to monitor how fast you were going? Oh, yeah, perfectly. So I, I knew everything. You know, there were there were parts. Uh, when, I, when I came through 10K, I was, I was running at, you know, I, I think that – I don't know what it was. The twelfth mile, I think, was was five fifty nine or so. so Jesus like, Christ, Mark, <laughs> that's that is insane. Yeah. So, so I was like, I better, I better slow down here a little bit, knowing that this humidity and heat's going to catch up with me some. And um, so, so I slowed it up a little bit. But my first, I don't know, I would say the first twenty six miles were all under. First twenty five, at least, were all under six twenty average. So. so if you were running, if you were to stop at 26.2, would have that yeah. have been a PR for you? Uh, well, I've never ran a marathon before. So uh, naturally, in, anything would have in that sense. Um, so, you know, this was my first actual, I, I had been the shorter distance racer prior to that. So this is my first race over 10 miles, actually. A lot so of people what, don't know that about me. So what made you want to do that big jump? I mean, and you mentioned before that you viewed this as a goal, as like a stepping stone to the North Face championship so what made you identify north face as your goal coming from a 10 mile racer well one thing i noticed like in my peers that run around the same level as me kind of in that sub elite uh category is as as the distance gets shorter they are faster than me and the longer we go the faster i am and the stronger i am i just have this really strong aerobic capacity i've noticed so i really wanted to put that to the test and i just love ultra running and i didn't want to wait any longer to make the the jump either so so were you doing kind of ultra marathon training anyway or is that something that you had to kind of move into as you as your goals and races changed well one thing about matt as my coach and, and my philosophy as well they align on this and it's that you know the fastest runners uh, i think are going to be good over any distance so it, it's about improving mm-hmm. your running economy um so i thought it would be an easy transition like you're going to have some specificity but that's going to be closer so you know maybe the last five or six weeks you're looking at that specificity for the specific race but other than that i think it's training a lot i did a lot of mile repeats um even three weeks before the race i hammered out i think four mile repeats all under five minute miles with just two minutes recovery and i was feeling really confident so it's not the traditional way that ultra runners have trained in the past but i think it's a really effective way that's a great point and i had nick simmons on the podcast who if people don't know him He's one of the best 800 runners in America. He just recently retired, but he has a wonderful running history. And he mentioned that even in the, his peak training, this is 800 meter runner. He would do 12 and 13 mile long runs. And it was like, that blew me away. Like, Hey, what in the world would you need that for? But it really speaks to what you just mentioned in terms of, Hey, you know, a good runner is a good runner. And then the specificity comes right before the race. And before that, it's just, Hey, you're running to run. Yeah, I, I I heard a lot of that podcast that you had with him. Um, yeah, and and that's the and that's the truth. I think that you really have to have that aerobic base, even if you're only running 800 meters, and you have to have speed if you're gonna if you're gonna run well over over 50 kilometers or 50 miles, even. That's a good point. Yeah, because even if people who are trying to run a marathon and say, "Hey, they want to break 330," 
you know, especially for women, they view that as like, hey, this is the Boston qualifying standard. So if I want to get under eight minute pace or whatever, but it's hard to get under eight minute pace or 730 or seven or whatever your goal is, if you can't hammer out miles, you know, 30 or 45 seconds faster than that at 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 a relatively easy clip. Oh, that's very true. I mean, if you don't ever train your body to run fast, it's, it's, you're just not going to run fast. It's adaptation. In my opinion, I know a lot of people who make the mistake of not doing any speed work because they, they run marathons or whatever it is. But if you look at how the elites train and, and how people who are successful in the sport train, it's, it's, it's a lot different than that. And there's a lot of emphasis on, on VO two max and uh, lactate threshold, especially. Right. Now you grew up playing soccer. So did you notice that you had some physical advantages, even, even back then? Yeah, I think so. Um, for for some really strange reason, our our college coach used to make us run this two mile like cross country loop uh, at times, like during tryouts and things like that, or whatever it may have been. And I would just hammer on that loop, and I'd finish a minute and a half or two minutes faster than even the next best person. These are college athletes that are very good, so I knew that I had a strong ability to run. You know, I've I've always been athletic my whole life with a myriad of sports, so it wasn't just soccer. Um, and I've always been a huge fan of running. So I knew that they, they were going to collide at some point. It was, it was all planned. I just had to wait till I was done playing soccer. God. And where did you, where did you go to college? Um, I went to Oakland community college is where I'm talking about specifically is where I played soccer there. Um, and then from there I went up and played in the NAIA level, uh, for a year before kind of ruining my eligibility to try to play soccer on this team. Um, so God, it, it worked it, out for the best, though. In Oakland community, is that in Michigan? It is, yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, because I know I, there we didn't lose a game. I don't believe. Holy so, cow! And yeah, and these are the people good. that you were dusting in the two mile run. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess so. Wow, that 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 really does speak to your running ability. Um, it's funny. I had this exact same story. My best friend growing up. Well, he played Division three, but he was trying to play Division three basketball out of college, as did I. Um, in his first, his first day of practice, they had a three mile run. You know, these are basketball players, right? They're not practicing for a three mile run. You know, it's just kind of one of those things to make sure people aren't sitting on the couch all summer. And he goes out, right, right. you know, again, he's running back. He weren't basketball shorts. He couldn't care less about this run, but he, but he was going to run hard no matter what. And he goes out and he runs like a, like a sub 18, three miler. I'm like what in the what? You're in the wrong sport, man. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, that's that's talent right there. I mean, that's that's insane. Yeah, well, well, hey, you did the same thing. That's for sure. Um, and then you know, we, we were talking about this before we came on the podcast, and and I'm really interested to talk to you about this as well. Is that you know you have this soccer background. You're obviously very athletic. Um, you know, anyone who didn't know beforehand, didn't know you beforehand, has garnered that information. You know, so far in this conversation, obviously, what you've been able to do as a runner, it really is. Uh, really is something else but for you and as for everybody you know participating in athletics isn't just a physical endeavor it's also a mental and emotional one and you had some struggles you know back in you know when you when you were in your early 20s it's something that you've had to overcome yeah definitely um and you know it probably dates back even further than that i mean i remember times my parents would you know well, first of all i guess I, I should start by saying yeah I've, I've battled with a lot of anxiety in the past and i try to be really open and transparent with it because i think it's really important 
Um, so as I was saying, you know, my parents would drop me off at my grandparents when they'd go do something. And I would like watch at the window until they came back because I was, I was just scared. Like something was going to happen, you know, just things like that. I've always been a really anxious, but never really picked up on the things. And, you know, it was somewhere during one of those, you know, I think about 20 years old is when it really, it really hit during one of my, uh, college soccer seasons. And I just got overwhelmed with anxiety. And from there, it kind of, for the next five or six years, it spiraled out pretty bad um where I, I felt lost and i think hopeless at times um and it's uh it, it's definitely come a long way and i'm so thankful that it has but there there were some struggles definitely it, like, like you said you've been open about it and in one of the areas that you've written about it um i read that you had panic attacks uh, you've been very emotional crying extreme phobias helplessness and for you, is it something that it's a, it's again, I guess it's part of a range, right? I mean, you're not 21 anymore. You're not 18 anymore, but is it something that's, um, I guess I should say, is it something that you're constantly dealing with or is it something that can get triggered and it kind of come in waves and in cycles? Uh, certainly it's, it's, it, it can come in waves and cycles and get triggered. Um, at that point, it, you know, I think from the time that I was 20 to the time that I was 24, I think it's safe to say it completely um, engulfed me. I, I mean, it, my whole life was, was anxiety. There, there were times where I would like just lock myself, um, you know, in my early twenties, I still live with my parents and I, I would lock myself in, in my bedroom there and not come out. You know, I wouldn't eat for 24 hours and, and things like that. Um, just, just a bunch of, you know, things going on and it, and it really dominated my life. Um, and that's why I felt so hopeless or helpless. Um, now it's, it's much different. I've developed a lot of tools to kind of deal with it. Um, and, you know, I think that's been really effective for me. And now it's, it, it's a lot rarer than it was before. And I'm, and I'm so thankful for that. And when you were, before you developed those tools, how, how were you able to, you know, how was your ability to communicate how you were feeling to other people who genuinely cared about you and were trying to help you through this? Well, you, you know, I was able, I, I, I was able to communicate pretty, I've always been really emotional and really, <laughs> really communicating was, you know, probably a strong point for me. So I, I was never afraid to tell anybody or embarrassed about it, but I didn't always understand it. So that made it really tough because, I mean, how do you explain why you're so scared of something and you don't even know what you're scared of? You know, it, mm. things like that can make it tough at times. Um, you know, I didn't know at the time, but I definitely had um, a little bit of social anxiety disorder and things like that. And it would make it really tough for me in class. And I didn't know what that was, you know, uh, things like that. So it was really hard for me to communicate to to, to my parents, my friends, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time. So it it, it really seemed you know, it was, they were powerless in a sense, and, and they were, they, they did the best they could, but it, it was a really hard situation. Yeah. And I can imagine like thinking about, you know, your, your successes as an athlete and all the things that come with that. And oftentimes we're talking about stereotypes, right? But you see like, a big, strong athlete who was able to compete at a high level, compete in college, can run super fast, can be super fit. And you get this idea of like, what does this person have to be anxious about, right? So for you, what was it like trying to, I guess for your own sake, like, hey, like you're super accomplished in these other areas. 
and yet you're experiencing this fear and this anxiety that even in, even when it was from a vague perspective, those two things seem hard to like have at the same moment. Yeah, I think they do. And I, and I do, and I, uh, there is a stereotype with that. Certainly I, you know, it, 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 it's really hard because I have accomplished a lot as an athlete and there's still a lot more that I'm driven to accomplish, but you know, I thought that I was lacking in, in other areas, you know, of my life, my confidence was really low. I would consistently seek reassurance and things like that. And I didn't understand that those were, those, those were some, you know, symptoms of a bigger thing that was going on. So it, it, it did give me, you know, I mean, there are a lot of positives that have come from it and it may sound weird, but you know, one big one is that I realize now, like if somebody, you know, in passing is kind of rude or something like that, or just cause you see something going on, you don't know what that person's struggling with intentionally. And I think it's made me so much more compassionate. And, and so in, in a strange way, I'm really, I'm really grateful that I've had to endure that because it's made me such a better person. That's a great point. And I, it was funny. I was reading an article just last week about an individual who was, who was suffering with depression, which is a very different thing. And I'm not trying to, to say that like they're similar at all, but one of the things that this article had mentioned was that this individual was so good at identifying with people who were in pain. And at the time, no one, they just felt like, wow, this person's really empathetic. This is amazing. It's, you know, but at the time it was like, I guess I'd say after the fact, they realized it was because this person had, you know, because they had experienced firsthand, they were able to pick up on other cue, other person's cues and then, you know, immediately, you know, become one with them. Not in a way of like, hey, like pointing out, you know, whatever issues they may have been dealing with, but just like be able to express themselves in an open and compassionate way. That was a, that the other person who was going through something was able to immediately let their guard down a little bit and feel better about themselves. Yeah, it, and it's a very similar situation. And, and I, and you know, you did say that anxiety and depression are are, are really different, and, and they are. But a lot of times, um, you know, like I would I would suffer a lot of depression as a result of my anxiety. Mm. Um, and and I completely understand, um, or I don't want to say completely understand, but I understand to a degree what people who are battling depression go through and it it is it is not fun at all and 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 it's a it, it can be a very it, it's easy when when you don't have depression or or some kind of mental health issue um to just say like hey you know cheer up or just smile or everything will be all right but it's it's when you're not going through it you know it's i don't know it's 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 definitely tough and i i can see that but i can also identify with other people as a result. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah. So, and for you, how were you able to gain access to the tools that were able to kind of like pull you out of that, that four year, that four year, um, you know, that, that, that cycle of uh, anxiety that you were dealing with from, you know, 20 to 24 or, or so on. Um, and, you know, be able to kind of get, get, get your life back in a way. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of trying to recapture my life and my like, invigoration so uh the first thing i did was i i seek the help of a therapist um, named jim and and he showed me or helped me hone skills and showed me showed me tools that were so effective at, at managing my anxiety you know different mantras and, and and things like that and just and just realizing sometimes when, when something feels off that 
maybe it's a basic necessity. You know, am I, am I, am I working too hard? Am I tired? Am I hungry? You know, those things. And that would kind of help me not revert back to the, to the anxiety thing. And then I bought a lot of anxiety and OCD workbooks and, and worked through those. I was really diligent and, and determined with that because I knew I needed to make a change or this was going to head in a direction um, that, that could have been catastrophic. For me. Yeah. And I have ever, I, mean, I have, you know, you know, if I'm, you know, I guess I just put it this way. I have, I have never experienced anything that you've experienced. So I'm so part of me is talking from a point of naivete. Um, you know, like I've all, I've been anxious before. I've done things like that, but I've never, you know, suffered from anxiety like you have. But mm-hmm. when you, when you go through this path of self-awareness, like you just mentioned that you're working with, that you had worked with Jim on, how much of that is beneficial? Like, Hey, you really want to gain as much self-awareness as possible. But at the same time, is there a risk of like overdwelling on, on the issue where all of a sudden that, that in, in and of itself can bring it on? Um, I, I think that's certainly a, a risk at some points, but at, at the, at the point that I was at, I just needed to take it on just mm. head on. I didn't, I didn't want to feel that way anymore. Um, it, I needed to rediscover a purpose and, and I needed to battle this. So I, I just went head on and, and did everything I could and, and came out the other side. Oh, that's wonderful. So when did you realize that you'd come out the other side? Was there a line of demarcation or was it a slow evolution? Ironically, it was, you know, probably about 2015, um, my last soccer game. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't like, I, I love soccer. I'll put that out there first. I mean, it was, you know, one of my first passions ever, but I'll put it out there and say, I, I don't, I, I think that it created unhealthy habits for me. Um, and, and it made me dislike the person that I was because I'm ultra competitive. It's, it's just who I am and playing at the level that I played at post collegiately. Um, you know, it's all the same people doing that, you know, they're, they're super competitive too. It's a very similar personality trait. And, you know, I was saying things, you know, on the field and, and doing things that I, I, that didn't align with who I was as a person. And I, I knew I needed to take a step away from it and, and to focus on other things and, and maybe try to excel somewhere else. So it was a good time for me to kind of switch over to running as I had planned to do for years before that. Now, you know, I'm, I'm a competitive athlete as well. You know, I played college uh, basketball and I can, what you're saying right now, I feel like you're telling my post-college basketball story. Like I am the worst person to play basketball with right now. I, you know, I get super chippy. I talk a lot. I'm like self-critical. I am, you know, just not fun to be around. That's why I don't play anymore. Um, so for you, did you feel like that was the case? Like all of a sudden you were getting more aggressive than you normally would be. You weren't a good teammate. You were vicious towards your opponents. Like what was, what were some of the, I guess, how would other people describe how you were playing? Yeah. I mean, I, they, they would say I was a butthole for sure. <laughs> in, uh, for, you know, in place of other words, I'm sorry, I'm I, sorry to laugh, but I, I didn't expect you to say that. No, it's, it's true though. You know, I say it as a joke, but it's really true. I, I was just turning into such a negative person on the field, just very chippy. Um, you know, at, at times, like wondering, like going in late on tackles on purpose, like, was I, was I trying to hurt this guy? You know, like, what am I doing? Like fighting, arguing, never with my teammates. I was always a good teammate, always really loyal, had a lot of leadership qualities, but I didn't like the person that I was being, especially to, to people I was competing against, because at the end of the day, it's, it's a game. And that was just crossing boundaries for me. So yeah, just like what you're saying, it's really chippy, 
just running my mouth a lot. And, and I, I went through this, this whole journey where I tried to get more inner peace and self-awareness and a little bit more spiritual. And I, I think that that was the final thing that was stopping me from being the person that I wanted to be. Now, was it the, the competitiveness of the game itself for you? Or was it more like, you know, you had maybe like you had visions of how you played when you were younger and you wanted to be able to recapture that ability or what, what about soccer in and of itself brought out those qualities in you? You know, I, I went out in my prime. I was playing the best. Oh, soccer wow. That, you know, I, I was still only 25 years old at that point. Um, so it, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't like past my prime or anything like that and trying to hold on to something. I went out, you know, at the best I've ever played in my life, but it, it was just, I, you know, I had this need to, like, I had this chip on my shoulder, I think. And, and I had this like need to prove myself. And I think that was a recipe for disaster because I, I was just out. I was hell bent on, on proving myself and I didn't care how destructive it was. Now, when you, you know, say that you were helping on proving yourself, it sounds like you were focused on external, external validation. Oh, certainly. You know, um, just, I, I had people that I knew acquaintances, things like that, who would, you know, playing at a higher level. And I thought I should have been playing at a higher level. And, you know, looking back, maybe that's not true, but I, I, I was, you know, I was trying you know, I don't know, trying to get confidence from outside. Yeah. Just looking for that external reassurance again. And that's, if you're not, if you're not happy with who you are, then you're never going to, then nobody on the outside can change that. So. Man, we should just stop the podcast right now. That was a great quote. I love it. Um, you know, it, it, it is absolutely true. And it's, it's, it's true not only in this conversation or in running or soccer, but basically in all areas of life. So I appreciate you saying that. And so uh, after that, that last soccer game, 2015, um, you yeah, obviously at that point you, you dedicate yourself to running, which as you put earlier in the conversation, you said was that you're almost fated to do at some level because of the success you had as a runner earlier in your life. So had you been running races prior to that? And, and, and after that point, this is kind of a two part question, I guess. Um, what was the, the first race on your docket after that? that kind of introspective soccer game where you said, okay, no more soccer. I'm going to running. Okay. Yeah. So that's a good question. So I'll, I'll take you all the way back to, to my high school soccer. And this is where this all really started. Um, I had a really good friend who lived only two blocks away from me. His name was Adam Iser. And um, he is right now he's, he, he's Hungarian, um, but he's, he's lived here for a long time. And he just actually recently moved out to Colorado. Uh, but he's a low 220 marathoner. And, um, you know, I I was always really interested in running, and he helped kind of spark that for me. Um, so I knew I wanted to do it, but I, I thought I had to give it a fair shot in soccer first because I didn't want to feel like I was giving up. Um, so, you know, I'd be following different runners, Ryan Hall, you know, Meb, all those, Kara Goucher, like what are they doing? I'm watching – before I go to practice, I'm watching Flow Track Workout Wednesday and things like that. And, you know – I hadn't really ran. I just ran, just run for fun, you know, three times a week or whatever it was. And I did run some five Ks, um, but nothing, nothing intentional, just, just for fun. I weren't really training for them. I just go in them with my friends or whatever it was. So what, um, d d just, yeah. just curious at that age, what was like their fastest five K time? Mine? Yeah. Um, I, th I, I don't know. I think my first five K was 19, 
thirty something. I'm not really sure. It wasn't it wasn't super impressive. Like for 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 what I thought I was going to do, I was so naive. So you're hovering. So so, so basically, at, the, at these races, you're kind of hovering around six minute pace. Yeah, right about that. Okay, all right, all right. Sorry to interrupt. All right, so keep going. No, yeah, so no, and then uh, December twenty second, two thousand fifteen. I knew that was going to be my last game. Um, so I just decided I was going to put in some time training and then that the guy I told you about Adam was helping me out with it. Um, and I just went to like a local 5k race and I was hoping to run like maybe 18 something as a start. And it was so windy. The, the wind was, the wind was like 40 miles. It blew over the timing table and everything. Um, so that, that race was a little bit weird and I ran like the same time low 19 or something in it. And I got discouraged. So at this point, that's in February, 2016, I ran 1924 in that race. Um, and then the next race is kind of where it really took off for me. That was in March. I actually, uh, was still super naive, super new to this. And, um, I hopped in a, a 10 K and I went out at a pretty fast pace. I was hoping to run about 37 minutes. I thought with the training, that's where I could run. And I took a run. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. All right. So you'd run 1924. So you jumped. Yeah. So when you say hopped in, what do you mean? Like, did you like, like how, how, how much before the race did you decide that you were going to run it? I thought that I was in good shape. And the night before I said, Adam, should I, do you think I should do this race? And he said, yeah, why not? And see what happens. So this is about an hour from my house. So the next morning drove out there the morning of. Wow. And up. All right. All right. Sorry. So the funniest part is it's pouring rain and it's a lot of it's on dirt roads and there's a half marathon there as well. And I knew I was in really good shape and I went out just like kind of hammering and I was like at about a 550 pace and my watch died and I took a wrong turn. Um, and I was leading the 10 K at that point. I took a wrong turn and I ended up getting into the half marathon. Um, this is cause, cause we started at the same time. So I went with the lead pack of half marathoners, uh, thinking that they were in the 10 K and I ended up running a half marathon unintentionally. So, and they, they switched us, the, they switched me over into that race because of it. So it was really a, a funny, a funny thing, but so did you run the full 13.1? Like I'm, I'm just, I have so many yeah. questions right now after that, after that anecdote, I did. Well, I did. Cause the race director was riding his bike with the lead pack and oh. um, halfway through, I started to fade off them. Cause these were like one Oh nine half marathoners. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on here? Like, where is this at the turnaround point? I was like, I was like, where's this 10 K? He's like, Oh, you took a wrong turn. So the fast way back is just to follow the course. So I was like, well, at this point, I was like frustrated, and I was like, okay. So I just, I just ran it back and kind of limped it in the last three miles for sure. But I ended up running like one eighteen something in it. So, so did so you ran faster in your half marathon that you thought you were going to run in your ten k? Yeah, I the that's, yeah, I, that I didn't know insane. what to run. Mark, I'm really sorry, concerned. I'm sorry, that's insane. <laughs> I've never heard yeah. it. I've never heard anything as crazy as that in my life. So you had a ten k goal. And not only did you achieve it, but you exceeded the pace, but ran double the distance. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know what I'd run in the 10 K. I, I thought I wanted to run about five fifty five pace and that's what I ended up running for the half marathon. So I was way off, but <laughs> yeah, it, that's, that's how it worked out. And I ended up, I was, it, it was a weird day, but I was, it, it reaffirmed that I was maybe making a good decision. I was going to, I was just about to go there that, 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 that mistake was a little serendipitous in a way, right? Because all of a sudden you skipped a bunch of steps. Yeah, I did. And maybe that would foreshadow me skipping all those race distances to go into the 50K. But no, yeah, it 
that may have been a the breakthrough that I needed in a sense. So, right, and you weren't in a position to all of a sudden start second guessing yourself because you were so in the moment. I'm assuming that's just like, hey, I'm just running with these guys and I'm just gonna give it all I have. I can't overthink this sucker. Yeah, no, no watch, no idea where I was at, um, no idea what pace I was running. I just knew that I wanted to try to compete as much as I could in that 10k, and I just didn't know they were in the half marathon. So. It uh, it was a perfect storm, which brings in which brings up an interesting point. I think is that all right. So once you came to grips with how that race turned out, what was how did you start viewing your running, and what did the goals start to become? Because there's no way that that was part of the plan. So so how did that change things for you and your coach once that that happened? Well, at that point, I, re- I didn't really have, you know, Adam was advising me, not so much coaching me. He was like, you know, do this tempo run today or whatever. And then I wouldn't talk to him for four days or whatever it was. Um, but it, it changed because my goals went from like, hey, maybe I'll run, you know, 130 and a half. Like, I'm not going to be Galen Rupp or anything. I know this. I'm getting started later in the sport. Um, so I'm just going to go out there and just get out in the nature and the woods or the roads and have as much fun as I can. And it, it went from this like fun and almost like kind of a break from competition to being like, wow, maybe I could be good at this. And, you know, then I, I, at that exact moment, I didn't really realize how good I could be or what kind of ceiling I'd have. So I didn't really know at that point. And I think it was, you know, the following year when I thought like, okay, I'm progressing at a really rapid pace still. And and that's when I started to really get a lot of belief and, and, and change my goals a little bit. Yeah. And, at that point, the part that we skipped over a little bit is that you've had you're you're a strong guy. Like anyone who goes online and sees you on Instagram, I'll, I'll post your Instagram um, profile as part of the show notes to this. Knows you know that you're a strong guy, and you have a kind of a weightlifting you know part of your life as well. So when 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 did that start to pick up steam, and where and when did you start shifting away from that that lifestyle to more of the the running body, so to speak? So I balanced that with I, – so I, I competed in physique at the NPC level. I was a national level qualified physique competitor. All right. Um, what, what does that mean? It, it's like bodybuilding but with the board shorts, you know. So it's kind of like a fitness model type look, and it's a, it's a competition based on really just aesthetics, not, not, not like powerlifting or weightlifting. It's just really like being on stage like fitness model look. So, it's like so, so the exact opposite of what an ultramarathoner looks like. Yes, and, and not <laughs> not very functional at all. <laughs> so. All right, all right. So you were doing that. What did you did you? Are you one of those people who just naturally, you know, who who takes to lifting? You know, there's some people who just like are able to gain quickly in lifting. Where there's other people, and, and I, frankly, I'm one of those people. I don't lift anymore. But when I was in college, I was able to gain pretty quickly in lifting. Where there's other people who will lift for a year with minimal gains. You know, but I'm assuming that you're kind of the, the former. Yeah, I have that. I really have that type two uh, kind of physique, that mesomorph, like gain muscle and stay lean type of physique. So it, it was really easy for me. Plus, my, my torso is kind of long and my arms and legs are really short. I'm, I'm really not built to be a runner. <laughs> I'm just making it work, I guess. Yeah, I can tell. You've only just set a course record in ultra marathon. Yeah. Yeah, that's just, <laughs> it's just pure willpower. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I went from about playing college soccer at probably about 155 pounds at five foot eight to um, being just under 200 pounds at 
probably 8% body fat at one point. And, um, you know, that was, I I was balancing that with playing soccer and with all that kind of calamity going on with the, with the anxiety and everything like that, I just, I kind of made a wholesale switch and said, this is the time that, that I get into running. So, um, when I ran that first race, I told you about in, in February or whatever it was, I was in February, 2016, I was still 170 pounds. Um, and then, you know, it took me two more years to lose, to lose 20 pounds. So now did you lose that weight on purpose in terms of oh, yeah. trying to, okay, I got it. So, so what did that entail? Um, I just, well, well, part of it was just eating less, but more of it was just the amount that I was running. Um, you know, I didn't. I thought if I want to run at a pretty decent level, I know I'm going to need to lose a little bit of weight realistically. Um, and also I, at, at that point I wasn't competing anymore and I kind of had a little bit of extra body fat. So I thought it'd be just a healthier decision to get maybe back into a good BMI range for myself. So it was definitely a conscious decision to do so for performance and health. Right. And that makes sense. Cause I'm the same height as you. So I know all those BMI quadrants and not that they're a perfect measurement of anything frankly, not um, <laughs> especially for someone with, with your background I and mean, you probably look at it like I have 8% body fat, these BMI quadrants don't make any sense whatsoever. Um, but that's interesting. Can you can consider that? All right, you got the soccer background and you have the weightlifting background prior to the distance running background. So your, your foundation is quite unique and yet has a lot of, um, I guess has a, a lot of utility. Because you're obviously a strong individual who has not only functional strength, but muscle strength as well. Like, do you feel like that the confluence of your event, confluence of events, meaning confluence of your, your physical activities has led you to a point where your distance running would be different if you had just pursued that simply the entire time versus taking these kind of the circuitous route to where you are now? Yeah, I think it would be dramatically different. Uh, for one, I think even just mentally, I would have blown up. Um, had I had that same all or nothing attitude mm-hmm. that I had, when I was 20 with running. I would have, I would have blown up. I would have taken things to the extreme. Um, that, that's just how my personality works. I do things in extremes and it, I think it would have been a recipe for disaster. Um, now I'm more mature and I'm, I'm able to maybe, take a step back at times though i'm still competitive um but i'm able to take a step back at times and and say okay just calm down here and everything so i think mentally it would have been a huge change but but physically i mean knock on wood but i i really don't ever deal with any running related injuries and i haven't even through relatively high mileage um so and i think some of that has to do with just the muscular skeletal strength that i have and have acquired over the years um you know, I, I like to think that I'm less likely to get a, a stress fracture and things like that because not only because of the way I train, but also because of that background that I had, I, I have very strong, you know, ligaments, tendons and bones and things like that. And for some people, the the weakness is to be motivated to do the running, to, to be motivated enough to get the running done consistently over a long period of time, whereas other people the weakness is, is that they go too hard and that they burn themselves out. So for you, where do you fall in that spectrum and how do you manage that? Um, I think I'm, 
I'm lucky enough that I fall right in the middle uh, right now. Um, there, there are times when it's hard for me to get out the door. I mean, I work full time and I, and I'm on salary and I have to work 45 hours a week. Um, and I have to balance a lot of other responsibilities. So, I mean, I, I can definitely identify with people who, who aren't able to, or, you know, or feel like they're not able to get out the door and train. Um, there are times where I'm like, man, I don't want to go out the door, even though it doesn't seem like it. And then there are times where I'm just like, you know, I, I ran 15 miles this morning. Maybe I'll go for six more tonight. And it's like, nah, that's probably not a good idea. So that, I, I kind of have both of them going on there a little bit, but I'm lucky to be kind of moderate on it and in the middle. So what's the motivation now? What, when you look at 2018, what, what, what are the goals that you have in mind? So 2018, uh, Matt and I, we really want to try to build my ultra and trail running resume a little bit uh, before the North Face 50 Mile Championships. And when's that? That's in November, usually mid to late November in San Francisco. And then uh, we, for 2019, we kind of want to shift and maybe to see if, uh, get a Olympic uh, trials qualifier time in the uh, marathon tread runner 219. So that's the long-term goal for 2019. But for right now, it's going to be mostly uh, trail stuff, 50 miles and under. And how did you come up with that 2019 goal? Um, I don't think it's realistic this year. I think that I'm, I, Matt will, will say that I, that I'm faster, but I think realistically I'm in 230 marathon shape to 232. And part of that's only that I've, you know, two and a half years. So I, I think with one more year under my belt, if I'm able to stay healthy, I hope I am. I think I'll be able to get there, you know, for, for where I want to be. And for someone who's so introspective as you are, considering your background in terms of, you know, that, that was part of your recovery from some, a lot of the anxiety pieces, right, is being very self-aware. Yeah. How hard is it yeah. for you to delegate to your coach what you're capable of and what you should be doing? Um, that's hard. That's that's probably a, a weakness for me. I think at times I want too much control over it. But he, he's so patient with me, which I, I have to give him credit. I'm sure he'll listen to this. So thank you, Matt. Um, but I, you know, it, it's hard. He, he told me, Hey, you know, I think you could run under two thirty right now. And I'm like, no, I couldn't. And then he'll give me these workouts and I hit him. And it's like, sometimes maybe I should, you know, just believe in myself a little bit more. Cause I, I do believe in myself, but like everybody else at times, my confidence wavers and he does a good job of picking me up. That's a great point. I mean, they, you know, that's, that's kind of a nice piece of coaches, right? They have that objective eye. And if they're talking to a bunch of people, they're able to look at your workouts and compare them to other individuals who might be in the same boat and say, hey, if that person can do it. Why not that guy? Um, yeah. So for you, before we get into it, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this. I really appreciate the honesty that you have with, with, with your background and the th things you've done. Um, it really is one of those things where – you know, for a lot of people, it's hard to talk about. So hopefully if anyone's listening to this who's going through similar issues or, or currently going through you know, difficulties with their lives in terms of anxiety, uh, I hope this is beneficial. Uh, so thank you so much for talking about this in an honest way. Um, and we'll go into the, the last bit of questions here, which we do with every podcast. For you, if you're running, do you have headphones or no headphones? Uh, typically no headphones. Uh, sometimes I'll run inside with headphones. Um, let's do a podcast, but not too often do I run with headphones. Okay. And what is the best advice that you give others about running that you have trouble following? Uh, just relax and, and have fun and, 
enjoy the ride and don't get too caught up on the small things. Oh, you're way too competitive to follow that advice. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So up and down. I can imagine. All right. So you're, I view you as a motivational figure for me because I feel like as a former college athlete, I see what you're doing um, and running. It, it so far exceeds what I'm doing that, that you motivate me. But who motivates you? Oh, I'm, I'm motivated by so many people. Uh, you know, Matt, my coach, is obviously one of them. Uh, Sage, uh, Canada. Of, um, he's a, of course. He's a friend. He's a friend of mine that I met out in Boulder, and he's a he's a huge inspiration to me. Uh, Cody Reed is another kind of uh, guy I've made friends with over the time, and he's a, he's a big inspiration to me. And then finally, you know, I I uh, have been a personal trainer since 2008, and didn't mention that, but I also do a little bit of run coaching uh, on the side, and you know, I have close to three dozen combined athletes in different sports, and uh, they're a huge motivation for me because it's supposed to be one sided when you're coaching people, right? Like I check in with them, make sure everything's good or, or training them or whatever it may be. But it's like they reciprocate so much love and everything. And, and to me, that's huge. So I've got this like this team in my corner that's backing me and I don't want to let them down. And it's just, they're a huge motivation to me. That's a great point. That, 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 I haven't heard that part before. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, no problem. Now, if you could run one more race for the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would that be? I haven't done it yet, but there's the the North Face fifth or uh, not the North. I'm sorry, the Western States 100. I mean, that race. Even just talking about it gives me the butterflies. Like that's my that's my end my end goal is to try to get a top ten finish there or something like that. I know it's ambitious, but that for me is the that's the number one. So, the, so. so you just checked off too, because my next list, my next question was, what's your bucket list race? But I think you just answered that already. Yeah, I, that race just captivates me and. and I want to do everything I can to, to get into it. And that's another thing for 2019 is maybe try to get into one of those golden ticket races and see if I see if I can't compete. So. And for you, who is your dream running partner? Oh, that's a, I mean, there's that, that, that's a good one. I think, uh, I don't know, Frank Shorter, cause I've heard some really cool stories about him and, and, and he was out in Boulder. I never got to meet him when I was out there. I think that would be a, be a cool guy to go on a recovery run with and talk to frank shorter i did not expect you to say that what what, what prompted you to to go with him uh one man he's just he's super wise and just seems like a really good guy but he seems like he's had some done some crazy stuff in the past too so you can read his, stories on him just you no know. you know, absolutely ahead, and, 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 just, and just and just the the uh the running that he's been able to do basically spurred on like the second wave of like the, the jogging movement. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's done so much and he's responsible for that. I mean, I think he'd be an intriguing person to run with. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate the time. This has been a fascinating conversation. I hope to talk to you again in the future. Yeah. I hope to talk to you as well. And I, I just want to say thank you for, you know, just, giving me a platform to come on here and, and talk about this, um, you know, the running and everything like that, but also the, the mental health stuff. I mean, if, if this reaches one person, then I think that, you know, we've done so much and, and hopefully, hopefully it reaches more. And, you know, if, if there's anybody I can ever help, please reach out to me on Instagram or, or wherever you can get a hold of me. I'm, I'm always happy to talk. That's a great point. And I should have mentioned this earlier and it will be in the show notes, but where can people reach you? Uh, so they can reach me at Instagram. It's uh at Bottenhorn Running, 
or uh, they can find me. Uh, my website has a contact thing. It's My website's uh, www.markbonhorn.com. Uh, it has just a lot of information and background information. So uh, those are the, probably the best two places to reach me. There's a little contact uh, area there that they can reach out. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you.